What's up, guys? This is Rob Pearsall, and you are listening to the Mets Legends Cast. I, of course, am joined today by my co-host, Alex Carigliano Michelli. Alex, how's it going, buddy? How's it going? Rob, we are recording on a Sunday, Sunday evening. That's how I'm doing right now. I'm feeling feeling wonderful. I took a nap earlier. Got the Academy Awards coming up because it's a Sunday and it's March. I, uh, Rob, I'm doing great. How are you? Yeah, we're recording on Sundays. We're going to be publishing on Mondays for the rest of the season. And then maybe we'll, we'll go back to Saturdays at some point. But we want to kick you guys off right with some episodes on Mondays. So that's the thought process behind that. And yeah, it feels a little weird to be recording on a Sunday, but I kind of like it. It's daylight savings, so it's a little light outside now, even though it's around 6 o'clock. So, excuse me. But yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, I mean, we're going to have this light until 7. I I, I kind of wish, I feel like it should be mandatory that when we have this daylight savings time and we spring forward, it should be a beautiful day out. You know, we have an extra hour. It feels like it should be sunny out, you know? Yo, if you're listening, Sky Gods, then hear us out, okay? Make it make it nice out when it's daylight savings, not not gloomy, all right? Hey, Apollo, you up there? Why don't you hop on your chariot, get the sleepies out of your eyes, and drag that sun across the sky? So selfish and lazy. Greek gods, am I right? So, Alex, the World Baseball Classic is upon us. Yes, it is. And... I was watching the USA game last night and just seeing all the crowd involvement for different teams, not just last night, but just in general, has been amazing. You saw the Taiwan crowd going absolutely nuts the other day. Shohei Otani has been putting on a clinic for Japan. And you have guys like Shlomo Lippitz, who we were talking about playing for Israel. We are talking about before the podcast, obviously. You guys wouldn't know that. But we were talking about Shlomo Lippitz before the podcast started. Cespedes Family Barbecue did a really cool article on him. 44-year-old pitcher who throws like 75 miles an hour and is still playing, still trudging along, owns City Winery as well. Like really interesting dude. So that was a really great article. Check that out by Cespedes Family Barbecue. But how have you liked the World Baseball Classic so far, Alex? Yeah, you know, I haven't watched a full game yet, but I've definitely been watching like whatever clip come, comes across my timeline on on Twitter. Um, man, you know, it's it's really cool. I feel like every time the World Baseball Classic starts coming up, I myself don't get very excited for it. And I think it's because just the timing of it all and I like so many... Americans just kind of worry about what what it implies for the players participating um, and like injury risks and everything. So it's not something I generally look forward to as much. I forgot that the U.S. actually won it all uh, last time they played in twenty seven in twenty seventeen, uh, and the roster stacked I'm, again. Yeah, and the roster stacked again. We don't have as much pitching uh, this year, and the uniforms are still but ugly. I really, mean, I like them. Ugly. I, I like don't them. like them. I think I like them. I think they're cool. I think they're not immediately identifiable, uh, um, like by the hat. And I don't like the white. The hat's not I, good. The, the hat's, hat's not, not good. good. But the uniform, I, I like. I think you know what? Because I'm, 
and I think I'm in the minority here, but I'm part of the crowd that doesn't like the what the old white Mets uniforms. And these kind of remind me of that. They feel plain. I'm really into, and, and it's great because you started off by you led off by discussing, well, not discussing, but you mentioned Shohei Otani and Taiwan Walker, and I think Team Mexico and Team Japan have great uniforms. Taiwan like, Walker, great, great, great. You said Taiwan. Oh, no, t- oh, Taiwan, the place. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Well, I'm talking uh, about Taiwan, the guy. Yo, I'm talking about Walker, comma Taiwan. You know, Rob. You know, uh, uh, you you didn't stupid joke. <laughs> I got nothing. But That's yeah. Fair. No, no, no. You know, I was gonna it's make the a, remix. I'm, I'm Alex, the person. It was gonna be a joke involving that, not the place. But that's whatever. pretty funny. Al, Al, uh, Eric is gonna have a field day with that one. Oh, we're gonna get a text as soon as he hears that part and goes, "Alex already screwing up a joke." I'm like, "Get it!" You know what? It's in. You know what? But, <laughs> Leave me alone. But that's why I love you. <laughs> but back oh, to uniforms man. for a second. Uniforms. I love Puerto Rico's uniform. I think yeah. Puerto Rico has the nicest uniform. And seeing Lindor in it and Javi Baez, former Met, I think it just looks so great. And yeah, Team um, Puerto Rico vibes are great. Yeah, I mean, Edwin Diaz on Puerto Rico, Francisco Lindor. Obviously, you have former Mets, Marcus Stroman and Javi Baez on the team. Carlos Correa, too, right? Yeah, um, I don't think he's on it this year. Oh, he's, he's not playing histori- this year. He's historically been mm. team Puerto Rico guy. Uh, Pete Alonso playing for the U.S. It's just lo- Eduardo Escobar for Venezuela. Jeff McNeil for the U.S. Omar Narvaez for Venezuela. Adam Adovino. There's a lot of current guys, so it'll be fun. USA takes on Mexico tonight, the night of our recording. So I'm sure we'll be talking about the World Baseball Classic a little bit more next week, but. Shout out to Shlomo Lippitz. Shout out to the World Baseball Classic. But let's get to the Mets now. The Mets have an injury problem, mm. and they are piling up. Today, which is Sunday, Bryce Montez Dioka was throwing high 90s, but for him, who had been hitting in the triple digits consistently, it was a bit of a concern. He walked three consecutive batters, left the field with trainers, and Buck Showalter was saying that, it's likely the forearm. So Bryce Montez Dioka, you're kind of thinking maybe Tommy John surgery. And I just feel so bad for the guy because he's had four surgeries since he joined the Mets organization after being drafted in 2018. So the guy really just can't catch a break. And he's got such electric stuff. I mean, Jacob Resnick posted this video of him and talked about his horizontal movement on his pitches earlier on on his pitches earlier this spring. And it's just like insane because he really just has special stuff, so maybe he'll be able to avoid the worst, but right now it's not looking too good with, with Bryce Montez Dioka. And Brooks Raley, who is supposed to be part of Team USA, is dealing with a hamstring strain. So, Alex, the bullpen right now looking a little bit decimated. Are you concerned at all? You know, I'm, it's not the bullpen that I'm concerned about. Brooks Raley, the hamstring strain, it, they didn't seem too alarmed by it. I think it was more of a precautionary thing to just completely take him off of Team USA after that. Um, so I'm not really so concerned about that. It could be alarming, but we'll see. Montez Dioka, no, that's not one that worries me in terms of the Mets' depth, but it does disappoint me. You know, he's someone who's really interesting and 
was really interesting last year too when we were first on to bring him up. I think you know we kind of touched on this last week, but the Mets have a lot. Like you know, we had three open spots, and we talked about all these guys who are you know potential fits for those three spots, guys with options, and I think you know that was why we went out and we also got David Peterson and we, you know, we retained Ottavino and Diaz. Um, You know, I think, and this is this is going to bring me towards like Jose Quintana as well. I think, I think we made a lot of correct moves. I think, I think the bullpen, we just have so many guys that it's all going to sort itself out. It's kind of like that classic baseball phrase where you can never have too many guys Um, like these type of competitions. It's one of those problems you want to have where like, Oh man, who's going to break the rotation. We have all these great candidates so I think it's going to be the same type of thing. So now we definitely really should keep our eyes on uh, just like a lot of these guys that we were mentioning. I just want to bring it up real quick with the pitching. Uh, pitching right now. Yeah, John Curtis, right? Like when we had it, when, when Quintana got scratched, not scratched, not Quintana, when Senga got scratched, John Curtis started instead. He's had, he's pitched in four games so far, four innings has yet to give up a run. So he's someone who was on the bubble and definitely seems like he's playing his way onto the roster. Jose Buto got optioned to uh, the minor league camp. But, you know, Sam Coonrad is someone who's still kind of doing his thing. Zach Green has not had so great of a spring, but Tommy Hunter's looked pretty good. So I think all in all, everything's going to balance itself out and... You know, whichever guys who could be optioned down will be, and we'll bring up other guys. Uh, with Quintana, that's one that really sucks. Uh, they're talking about like a rib fracture, maybe, but they haven't actually. He's still getting more tests. They haven't confirmed what it is. And I, I look at Quintana as not an essential signing. I think like it, it kind of dawned on me after he got hurt, with the fact that we have Peterson McGill. Uh, Luke Casey and uh, how do how do I say his name? Eliezer. Oh, Eliezer Hernandez. Eliezer Hernandez. Yeah, just like a lot of like, you know, and then Buto too. Just a lot of guys who could potentially come up. I think in Mets seasons past, we would have been okay looking at either Peterson or McGill or 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 the other two to to have a rotation spot like coming into this summer, coming into the spring. And I think they signed Quintana because he doesn't have a, a huge recent track record of success. Last season was like kind of a comeback year for him. So I think the two-year signing for him was with that idea of, yeah, we have a lot of old guys. This is an additional old guy. We're not 100% on our young guys, but we feel good about them. So it, it's just like another depth piece. I think they signed him knowing that no matter what, he was going to spend some time on the IL. He would need some breaks here and there. And, I mean, having to turn to Peterson or McGill is not a bad thing. McGill even started, he was started opening day last year. He was the on the, on the hill for the no-hitter we pitched. So I'm not freaking out yet. I think the Senga thing shook me a little bit. And then you read into it. It's like, okay, it's kind of normal. And the, he would have started if it was 
if it was the regular season. So they just want to, you know, be cautious. But, you know, it's a lot of names that come up at once. But then when you, when you kind of step back and see all the depth that we've required, I think we'll be okay. Yeah, I think you made some, some good points with the bullpen. Guys like John Curtis, who uh, who's looked really good. Tommy Hunter, who really has dealt with some injuries during his time with the Mets, but when he's been healthy, has been really solid. A guy to call upon that's reliable. And Sam Coonrod, if he could stay healthy, if his velocity is high, he's another guy that I think is interesting. Zach Green, maybe he'll get a chance because he's a Rule 5 guy. Steven Nagosik, I'm sure, will be up and taking some some innings in the bullpen. So you're right. I think that it'll, it'll balance itself out. You have guys like Grant Hartwig in the minors who are, are appealing. And so I think losing Montez Dioka stinks because he's one of the guys that really just has electric stuff. And maybe you're hoping that he could have been a, a high leverage type guy, but who really knows? I mean, he, he had some stuff to work out with his control and staying healthy anyway. So it's not like losing him is is as detrimental as losing someone like Edwin Diaz. It would have just been nice if he could have made that next step for the Mets, I think. But yeah, one hundred percent. I think it's it's upsetting because of the promise of Dioka, not the immediate need for Dioka. Exactly, that's a great way to put it. Um, but in a more positive note, we have guys like Tim LaCastro who are looking really good this spring. So my question to you, Alex, is is Tim LaCastro legit? Or is he going to be a Travis Jankowski type that gets some chances with the Mets but really isn't going to move the needle that much? What do you think? Has he kind of come into his own as a Met now? Or <laughs> it's funny. is it opposite? Uh, yeah, because uh, I brought up LaCasha to you in the, in the kind of pregame. That's what I'm going to call it. He's racked up the second most at-bats for the Mets this spring so far. Uh you know, he, he. I feel like I see his name in every scorecard, and I get a lot of alerts involving Tim LaCastro. He has a one a one point zero two five OPS right now this spring, three seventy average. He's you know only struck out four times, only walked once. But you know, then you click on his name, right? Because yeah, he looks pretty good. He's someone who could potentially break in as a fifth outfielder. Be that Jankowski. Jankowski type and then you know you, you look at his career stats and in the six seasons six years in the MLB it's nothing remarkable there's nothing remarkable about him uh, which you know is, is mean to it feels mean to say that I think Yankee fans he, he endeared himself to a lot of Yankee fans back in 2021 um, you know he just doesn't He'll, he's someone who will have like a good game. You know, he'll, we're going to see him this season probably. It's just how the season works out. And, you know, he'll have the signature Mets moment where he hits some type of, you know, game winning hit or does some good things on the base paths. But, I mean, you know, he doesn't get many plate appearances. His career average is 227 and that's boosted by having a 290 average in 2020 you know and 69 at bats there's, there's nothing there's nothing remarkable about him so he I don't I don't see him breaking camp unless you know unless we have like like something happens with Marte or something you know like some type of outfielder depth concerns otherwise 
He's exciting. I think Tim LaCastro's ceiling is a really good AAA player. I think he's someone who probably is too good to just drop his cleats, <laughs> you know, to not break, to, to not go after his MLB dreams and stuff, but he's just not good enough to stay on a roster full season. He's already 30, so, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing exciting about him, but, you know, we'll, we'll see him, and he's had a really good spring. Yeah, maybe he'll be this year's Terrence Gore, where he's uh, he sticks with the team throughout the year and comes up at the end of the year if they're in the playoff if they're in the playoff push and gives them some speed on the bases and gives them a little bit of defense in the outfield. Yeah, so, you know what I mean. Of to be which, mean about I miss him. Terrence Gore. Yeah, miss Terrence Gore, and I'm sorry to cut you off there. Um, you should be. I am. I'm very sorry. I just want to add in that I, looking. I still feel wrong about throwing so much like water on those flames about him but you know I think you make good points though I think you're right you know I think that LaCastro is a guy who like last year Jankowski fans really endeared themselves towards I remember seeing people with Jankowski jerseys but we have to remember like LaCastro is a guy who will probably be shuffled between AAA and the majors isn't going to move the needle that much but like you said maybe has a signature moment here and there plays defense, you know, runs runs the base as well for the Mets. But that's really it. I, I think that you can't really expect much out of him, but he's a good guy to to have for depth, which is which is more than okay. Um but it kind of one kind of leads me into like my next point about the Mets outfield, which is Tommy Pham and Darren Ruff. Not that Darren Ruff is a full time outfielder, but he has experience in the outfield. Neither of those guys have really looked particularly good in spring training this year so far. And so I want to go out and say, I think the Mets should sign Jerks and Profar. And I know that you disagree, but I think that signing Jerks and Profar, who's still out there, is a good move for the Mets, especially if Tommy Pham and Darren Ruff continue to to be bad for this Mets team. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Darren Ruff 0 for 8 right now. Uh, looks awful, is awful. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, you know what? I, you know, I am pushing back, but I think I'm pushing back more on the, on the LaCastro, not LaCastro side, on the pro far side where I don't think that unless the Mets give him a really remarkable offer, I don't think he's someone who, who signs with us. I think, I, I think he has enough leverage as, as coming off of the, the type of year that he had, where if he has to wait until, Till you know June or July or something for a club to give him a genuine offer, you know, or you know some type of major outfielder to get hurt for a club to go after him. Um, I don't, I don't see the Mets. I don't think the Mets are going to be able to offer him the contract that he that he would want. But I am looking at this depth right now. I'm, I'm kind of looking at the player stats from the spring training so far and. Like everyone below the depth chart of Tommy Pham, and I guess right because he'd be like our fourth outfielder. Yeah, uh, McNeil's also kind of like our fifth outfielder. Maybe he's more our fourth, and Pham is the fifth. If you really think about it, but everyone below them in terms of like immediate outfield depth, there's nothing exciting here. That's the thing too, and that's yeah. like that's kind of a reason why I think the Mets should sign Profar. He plays left field. 
He played a majority of left field last year and was okay. He had two defensive runs saved there. He can play around the infield, even though defense isn't his strong suit. I feel like he kind of came into his own a little bit more offensively last year. He's only 30. And I just worry with the Mets that if Tommy Pham really stinks this year, and Darren Ruff, I think, is just like it's just a matter of time before he's gone. Like realistically, I think that he's gonna get the Robinson Cano treatment, where right now at least, like Ruff is is an inexpensive commodity. And so the Mets are just gonna give him a chance to see if there's anything left in the tank. And if he has a bad April, he's going to be gone just like Cano was. So I'm not really even considering him as a factor because I think it's just a matter of time before he's gone. Tommy Pham, I know that they gave him like a one-year $5 million deal, but he's another guy where it's like he might just be cooked at this point in his career. And so I think bringing in a guy like Profar where you could have him occasionally DH, you could have him play left field sometimes to spell Mark Canna of of – you know, a long bout of playing. And I think I think that he's a guy that is versatile and maybe he's going to command a bigger contract. I think maybe you're right. Like he'll wait to see if a team has an injury and a team comes calling for him or whatever it is. But he's just out there for the picking right now. And he's someone who I think would really give the team a little bit more versatility and would really help strengthen their bench a lot. So that's kind of where – I was thinking about it the other day. I wrote a piece about it for SI, and I was just like, Profar's still out there. He can help a little bit in the outfield, and he has a little bit of pop in his bat. I liked what I saw. I mean, he tortured the Mets in the postseason last year, and so I'd be okay with if you can't beat him, join him type situation. So that's kind of where I'm at. I know that it's like a little crowded right now. You have LaCastro, you have Fam, you have Ruff, but I don't think bringing in a guy like Profar would really be the worst case scenario. Yeah. Um, actually, I think you're starting to sway me towards your side. I think <laughs> you, I mean, you know, and the, the advantage of having Steve Cohen as the owner is. I think he's not, he's not, a, not, I think he's not afraid to have to spend a little extra if he feels that we need to. Or the, if, they, if he feels like they need to. And I think part of it, too, was I kept seeing names come up in my in my alerts, like Abraham Almonte and DJ Stewart as guys who were doing things this spring. And then I click on their names and their you know, career journeyman or something. And, uh, you know, no one who's or like in their 30s, no one who's going to actually like make have any real impact or, you know, can't be expected to make any real impact. And then I, you know, I go back to the depth chart. And I think the, it, it is the Jeff McNeil promise that probably keeps them from going to get pro far right now because the Mets, if they, they don't have a lot of outfield depth, but they have a lot of infield depth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if, I mean, he just won the silver slugger for second base, Jeff McNeil, but I'm not making that up, right? He got the silver slugger for that. Yeah, he also. I mean, he won the batting title as well. But he yeah, probably won the batting won the title. Slugger. Yeah, and they don't. They probably don't want to like. I know they don't prefer to move him around too much to try to keep some consistency. But he's a gamer, and if they decide that the outfield depth, the outfield depth gets too hurt, and they need to, you know, if maybe have an extended look at Guillaume and Escobar at second base with Beatty at third. You know, you have the flexibility there to move those guys around. And then put McNeil on the outfield for a while. I think that's something that they can do and with with some comfort. But that's still 
it probably solves a lot more issues to just go get Profar. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I just think that like the depth can't hurt you. But I don't. I mean, MLB trade rumors. I think predicted he would get like a two-year, twenty million dollar deal or something like that, which would be like a significant contract to add on, especially since they've already added Tommy Pham and and I mean, not that that's a lot of money, but they've already committed money to these to these other players. So, um, but I don't know. I think that it would be a good move, especially since he's just out there, and I think he would still get a significant amount of playing time. So that's kind of where I'm at with with that. But yeah. Uh, spring training is moving along. I think that you see a lot of injuries generally, like we talked about. Uh, you know, the roster is going to take shape. You have your main guys that, at least like the very least, like the main guys haven't really got hurt. Starling Marte got hit in the head with a pitch earlier today, but it seems like he's going to be okay. I think he tested negative for concussion, which is good. But you know, hope. I think you're right where you say like the other parts of the roster will will kind of work themselves out. But I wanted to ask you, what are your thoughts on Brett Beatty winning the third? Like, do you think that he's going to win the third base role or do you think that they're going to have him start the year in the minors and, and let Eduardo Escobar take the reins at third base to see if, you know, he can kind of build off of what he did in September and October of last year? Well, I think, I don't know if he's going to win it quite yet. My heart tells me, the, the part of me that loves Beatty thinks that he's going to win the job. And if he doesn't win it going into the spring, he'll have the job cemented by May or at least be part of um, that platoon split. But this week, like starting this week, starting tomorrow is when the idea of Beatty is really going to come to life because he's had his share of at-bats. Um, if I've, I've had the spring stats right in front of me, sorted by the amount of at-bats. So if I change it back to all positions, Vientos does have the most at-bats with 33, although he's only had one walk. So that's 34 plate appearances. And then you'd see Beatty is a little bit under him with 24 at-bats, but with four walks. So he's at 28 plate appearances. He's been, you know, great, 458 average, 1177 OPS. And he Buck gave him the off day today because he felt like he, we've been seeing we've been seeing him a lot and just give him a little bit of a break. But I think that's knowing that we're gonna see him a lot more coming up just because of all the other guys who left to the World Baseball Classic. We're gonna see him in the lineup every day. And I think starting, you know, these next two weeks are gonna be one we really see if he's if he's the guy. I think no matter what no matter how hot. Ronnie Mauricio gets, and he hit another home run today to bring his um, home run total up to four with a 1.23 OPS. I think no matter how hot he gets, we're not going to see him on the team. Um, he's not going to break camp opening day with the team, but I, th- I do think we definitely see him at certain points this year. But Mahar- I-, I think that Beatty could do it, and I, and I think he will. I think he... Maybe not that he will win the job outright because I think Buck does like his veterans and I think the team really enjoys Escobar. But I think Beatty will show that he deserves to start opening day, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think that kind of like pro far, like having an Escobar on your team is still beneficial. I think that – I don't think Beatty really has much more to prove in the minor leagues. He had such a robust – 
season at double A last year. I know he was only in triple A for a little while before he got called up, but it just doesn't really seem like minor league pitching is much of a challenge for him. And, and I realize it's like maybe he'll benefit a little bit more from playing playing at AAA, but I think that I'd kind of at this point just let him figure it out up here unless he really struggles and then needs to needs to be sent back down. But I think that after such a blazing heart a blazing hot spring, it would be kind of a hard sell to deny him a position on the team. It's kind of like in 2019 where Pete Alonso came to camp and just absolutely let the, you know, let tore, tore the cover off the ball. I don't know what I was trying to say before that, but like lit it, lit it up, I guess. Excuse me. But I think that it's kind of a similar situation with Beatty where it's like he's proving that he wants to be in the majors and he wants to get a chance to perform. And I think having Escobar in a capacity where he's another guy who he's a switch hitter, he could sometimes spell Dan Vogel back. He could, you know, from the left-handed part of the DH platoon, he could be the righty DH sometimes. He could play third base. He could kind of play wherever. Also, Escobar caught one inning in the majors, and I really want to find footage of it. In 2017, he caught one inning. I really, really need to find – yeah, I really need to find footage of it. I was looking at some of his numbers. He's, I think, played every position around the diamond except for first base, I think. He's pitched one inning. He caught one inning, and then I think he's played all three outfield positions and every position except first base. So interesting. I yeah. think the thing that that differs about this situation right now with Beatty as opposed to Pete Alonso in 2019 is the fact that there wasn't really it was Alonso against Dominic Smith. Yeah, that's which, true. Which would be the equivalent of if Vientos had already, you know, made made his appearances with the Mets first before before Beatty like the year prior and and Beatty just leaps past Vientos in the depth chart like that spring to break <clears throat> to win the starting job. Whereas because of the fact that we have Escobar on the team, that's a bigger you know, he he's still and this isn't me pushing for Escobar over Beatty. I just think the Escobar factor is a little bit heavier than than what it was in twenty nineteen. But we'll see, because he's also playing with Team Venezuela right now. And he's doing, you know, he's do, he's doing his thing. I don't I don't really know how well he's doing right now. It's uh, there's only been like two real games so far. So, but you know, once again, I I don't I don't think he's going to be the opening day starter. But I think he'll show that he deserves it. And and maybe he's on the roster anyway. Maybe he's not the opening day starter, but maybe he's on the roster anyway. Yeah, I mean, is again, it's not a bad problem to have. I mean, if Escobar performs and he's and he's good, that's that's only beneficial to the team. I just think that at this point, like the Mets missed out on Carlos Correa, they didn't sign him. I don't even know if you could say they missed out on him. They 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 balked at signing him, but now that Correa's gone and Beatty too, he was willing to play wherever the Mets needed him if they were going to sign Correa. Uh, now that Correa's not here. I think Beatty really is getting a chance to showcase his own talent, and I really want to see him kind of run with that. And I like Eduardo Escobar. I think he's a really good glue guy. I think he's a really good play uh, clubhouse guy. But I think that you could safely have Beatty play third base regularly and kind of shuffle Eduardo Escobar around where you need. And that might even take a little bit of pressure off Eduardo Escobar or Whatever I don't know if he was feeling pressure last year or whatever it was, but it it seemed like there was a little bit of an adjustment period to him playing in New York, so or playing for a new team. 
So, yeah, and while his defensive stats, if you look at them, were pretty bad at third base, they weren't. They weren't. They were quietly bad. Does that make sense? Like I never watched him and said, "Oh my God, he's really sucking up there." I think most of his defensive concerns were just—it it wasn't errors. It was just, you know, like zone rating type of thing. Him not being able to get to certain balls, but it's not like he plays an ugly third base either. Yeah, and uh, I don't know. He's a, he's a character, so I love Eduardo I love Escobar. Yeah. I'm rooting for him. But uh, Alex, are you ready to remember some guys? <laughs> Uh, I am. I did. I did want to uh, th- want to bring up the the promotional schedule. Oh yeah, that's right. I'm sorry. Let's bring that up. I mean, how fun! I, I've never seen. And I don't. I mean, this isn't promotional giveaways and event schedules for for major league teams. They're not the most exciting thing. I mean, I think they're fun. There's a lot of great things, but you don't. They don't I've never gone into, yeah, I'll put it this way. I've never gone into a Met season going, holy crap, like, I really want to go to these games based off of the promotions, you know? I go to games mm-hmm. based off of matchups and just if, if I'm feeling it that week and I have a little extra money in my pocket. But I've never been like, oh, man, this T-shirt giveaway in August is a game that I need to go to right now. Or like, oh, this bobblehead giveaway it's something that I need to be at. So I'm going to get tickets for that right away. But I'm feeling at this 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 year right now. What are the events or promotions that you're most excited for? The ones I'm most excited for are all of the jersey give, giveaways. They have yeah. a basketball jersey giveaway on in July as well as a, as a soccer jersey and a football jersey. I mean, that's just, that's just really fun. I... I my lone football jersey right now is a Browns jersey, and there's a long story behind that, but I, I love it. They have a Buck Showalter-inspired windbreaker day on September 28th. I mean, come on. You know? <laughs> These are great. I like the headband, the tie-dye headband, September 30th. Uh, the the Sterling Marte Black Panther bobblehead giveaway. I almost want to go to that just so I could give that bobblehead to my uh, to my co-teacher. He's obsessed with with Black Panther. I mean, these are just, these are just really fun. And I think, I think this is something that comes from the Mets just having a, a higher budget overall. Like it's not just, Oh, we're spending more on the team. It's we're spending more on their franchise. We're spending more on this giant billboard on renovations on improving the infrastructure around the stadium. And now for all of these really cool looking promotions. Yeah. I love the, they have a hockey Jersey giveaway. I'm really excited for that. That's going to be really cool. Corduroy hat. That one sounds great. Like, I love corduroy, so that one's cool. Corduroy the, hat. The, Where's that one? That's September 2nd against the Mariners. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, corduroy hat. That's that's really cool. Oh, wow. Yo, yeah. You know what? I skipped right by the ones that didn't have a picture with mm-hmm. it yet. The Max Scherzer-inspired two-tone sunglasses. That's fun. Oh, the corduroy hat. I love it. Yeah, you're right about it. That's a good call. I love a good corduroy hat. I'm also like a massive – that basketball jersey is really cool too. Like it's like the road gray and then like it kind of looks like the road uniforms but just like a basketball jersey. That's really cool. Yeah. The Kodai Senga ghost forkball giveaway is cool. I'm, I'm like looking forward to that one. I also – I'm a massive bobblehead collector. So that Francisco Lindor bobblehead that they're giving away against Cleveland 
in May is oh, really that cool. That one's clean. Ha- yeah, it's cool. They have a Howie Rose bobblehead, Edwin Diaz trumpets bobblehead. So those are all really cool. And I thought I think they did a really good job too with just the celebrations. Like, you know, they have Pride Night, they have Mental Health Awareness Day, they have a bunch of heritage nights. So they've got a jam-packed schedule here. Uh and you're right, I like I never really I love I used to go to games specifically to get bobbleheads or if there were certain giveaways I wanted to go to. But this is a really exciting promotional schedule where you're like, whoa, like, dude, these are all really cool. Like, they're not just your standard. Like, And also like with the Wilpons, I don't remember there ever being like a lot of giveaways. Like I don't remember them ever being like – like yeah, you had like Todd Frazier Windbreaker Day or Jerry <laughs> Blevins Sock Day or whatever it was. But those are not things that really – are very exciting. You know, these are actually cool. You're like, we're like, whoa, I wonder what that Kodai Sanga ball is going to look like. That's an awesome giveaway. Uh, these bobbleheads are really cool and different than what we've ever seen before. So it's just like, it's those, those little things that Steve Cohen is, is just enhancing for the fans. Like, you know, they have the bigger scoreboard at the ballpark. You know, Samsung has taken over the, the banners and everything like the promotional giveaways. It's just enhancing the experience for the fan and yeah, I think the promotional giveaways are just another step in doing so. And these are all really cool. Yeah, nothing, nothing else to add to that. This is it. Just it just feels unusual to be so excited about these promotions. And you know, you could just tell that the fan is has really like is really like. I mean, if I'm Howie Rose, I'm thrilled about that bobblehead. Not just because like, oh wow, like the Mets are honoring their radio guy with a bobblehead, but like. That's a damn good looking bobblehead too, with the stack of books next to him. It's pretty cool. Like, oh, gosh, I'd be know, so put happy. Books. Yeah, put uh, uh, you know, I didn't even make that connection to put in the book. Oh, that's see, I'm even more excited now. Let's go, let's go, Howie Rose. But even like 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 last year, I think they did a good job with the giveaways too. But this Definitely. year, it's like it feels even more complete. Like I really liked that Pete Alonzo bobblehead with the retractable polar bear head. Yeah, I, I got cool um the I I got one of those um I gave it to my brother cuz he's more of a bobblehead collector. I knew he'd appreciate it. I thought of him right away. But the the Mandalorian bobblehead giveaway of um um former Met Trevor May. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Trevor May uh, Mandalorian bobblehead. That that was sick and I gave that to my brother. But yeah, a lot a lot of good ones last year. I have a Robinson Cano, Obi-Wan Cano B bobblehead, and I hate it. I really don't want it. Oh, that is so disappointingly clever. Well, it's just one of those things where it's like I have certain bobbleheads that over the years you're like – like years later you're like this. these just did not age well. Like I have a Jay Bruce bobblehead, which isn't the worst, but it's also like, eh, you know, do I, do I really want to display this on my mantle? Um but then there's certain ones that I feel like over time, like you were like, yeah, this is kind of whack. And then years later, you're like, yo, like I have a Francisco Rodriguez bobblehead. I don't know, like just like stuff like that, oh, silly. Cool. But na- now I appreciate it. So, yeah. Well, that's the whole idea, like behind Mets Legends, too, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Beautiful but, uh, boy. Anyway, you thank you. You too. Oh. Hmm. But anyway, let's let's remember some guys now. I, let's do it. I feel bad that we skipped the promotional giveaways. I for, I forgot to write that on our Google Doc. So thank you for reminding me. It's all good. Uh, yeah, <laughs> let's let's remember some guys for sure. 
Do you want me to go first as in I'll guess your guy or do you want to try to guess my guy first? Yeah, you you guess my guy. All right. Okay. Did he play for the Mets in the 2000s? Yes. Was he on the 2006 team? No. Was it post-2006? Post-2006. Mostly in the 2010s, but he started in the 2000s. Oh, gosh. <laughs> imagine, imagine like, imagine, like, it's, like, the easiest guy, and I just can't think of it. Oh, God. That's, my, that's always Delgado. my fear. <laughs> and it's Albert Einstein. <laughs> um, all right. So he made his that. debut with the Mets in the late 2000s, but he played for them in the 2010s. Yes. Is he a relief pitcher? No. Okay. All right. Is he a pitcher at all? No. Is he an infielder? Yes. Would you say that he is a, a more well-known Matt or he's a more obscure Matt? I feel like he hugs the margins between obscure and well-known. Okay. Did he come up through the Mets system? Yes. Okay. And he was primarily an infielder? Yeah. It's not Murphy, is it? Noy. Okay. I was going to say, because he's, he's well-known, but he <clears throat> debuted in 08, so I was like, maybe. He has a more uh, specific position. I wouldn't, he's not like a flexible infielder. He's a first baseman? Noy. Okay. Third, he's a third baseman? Noy. Oh, my. Okay. So he's a middle infielder. Noy. He's a catcher. C. He came up with the Mets, and he was with them for a few years, obviously. You said that he played with them until the early 2010s. Mm-hmm. Okay. Did he come up in 08? Noy. the team? Okay. So, so he came up in 07 or 09. Did he come up in 2009? Yes. Okay. Is it Omir Santos? No, it is not. Okay. He came up with the Mets in 2009, and he was with the team for a few years. Did he play anywhere like else after the Mets, or was that just it? He played somewhere after the Mets. Okay. Give me a who did he play for after the Mets? Toronto. That's going to give it away. Oh, Josh Tolley. Josh Tolley. Nice. Yeah, that's yeah. a good. I think that I think that was a good. That was a good hint. Where you said that he kind of borders being obscure, but like well known. Yeah, I think Met fans know him because I think he was pretty exciting in two thousand nine. Like, oh, was this our future catcher? Yeah, because uh, Brian Schneider that. was kind of like I. Um, he, you know, I'm looking at his two thousand nine sets now. Like, I remember now, like looking, thinking back to it, like, oh yeah, like being really excited about him. Because and then I guess in 2010 he had a 277 batting average, which is solid. Still not like you know only 227 plate appearances, but much more well known. And then after that he's just you know he nothing exciting about him. And in Toronto it looks like he just kind of completely flamed out. He was there for four seasons, but yeah, never, never I, I agree. More though. than 120 plate appearances. I agree though. He was a guy who I thought those years were so torturous because there was really not a lot to look forward to. But yeah, I thought Tolly was going to be like the next really good catcher for the Mets. If I remember, I think he was okay defensively. I don't really know. 
Uh, I wasn't really into advanced analytics at that point, so I, I don't really know if he was actually good. But I kind of remember him being okay. I really, I have no recollection of how he was defensive. I remember Brian Schneider being known as like a good defensive catcher, or at least being like a smart guy back there. And then, and then having Josh Tolley, um, was he? I think he was around the same time as Mike Nikias too. I don't remember. Yep. Yeah, because they both got traded for RA or in the RA Dickey trade for Darno and Cindergard and right, all those yeah. guys. Um, but all right, now now try to guess my guy. Oh God. Okay. Yep. And battery's running low. Um, okay. Uh, is uh, did he play in the twenty tens? He did. Okay. Did he? Is he an infielder? No. So outfielder? No. Okay. Homie was a pitcher. Yes. Was he a relief pitcher? He was. Uh, 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 okay. Uh, would you say early 2010s? Yeah. Okay, early 2010s. Like early to mid. Early, early to, mid. to mid. Okay. Was he a right-hander? Yes. Okay, was he a high-leverage guy? Yep. Uh, uh, Frank Francisco? No. Okay. Did he come up with the Mets? Mm-hmm. He came up with the Mets. Um, yeah. um I believe Alex's laptop died. So <laughs> uh it was Bobby Parnell. Uh, but I'll tease him about that next time. But uh thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you next week. Be sure to tune in every Monday on Spotify, on Anchor. And uh, follow us on Twitter at Mets Legends. And we'll see you guys next time. Thanks so much.